Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. I am Spencer Dirks alongside, as always, Dr. Bob Leonard. How are you doing, Dr. Bob? Pretty darn good. I'm doing fantastic today. Really? I'm in a great mood. We'll get to that later in the show, actually. We've got a couple bits of good news today. One of them having to do with our Cock Talk news. Usually we don't have good news during Cock Talk. Today we do. How about that for a tease? Sure, sounds good. And even though, as you're listening to this, Halloween is already over, we do have a couple spooky things for this podcast episode. We're going to start things off with the top 10 favorite Iowa scary movies. So this is the most popular horror movies in the state of Iowa. Also in our Iowa Coast to Coast segment, you probably saw Kim Reynolds got a little testy during a press conference talking about book banning. So we'll discuss that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Also from the Des Moines Register, got a new poll out this week, so we'll discuss the results of that poll, which were a little bit surprising to some. I think to listeners of the Iowa Revolution podcast, you wouldn't be surprised at all. I don't think so. You've heard it before. We'll talk about new House Speaker Mike Johnson, a quick little story about what he's really like. Generation Z wants more friendships in their media. They don't want sex scenes and gratuitous drug use. They want close relationships. I guess that's good. So we'll discuss that. More good news towards the end of the show and top five urban legends. That's another spooky portion of the Iowa Revolution podcast. Anything else to add before we get going, Dr. Bob? Nope, we've got a full slate. Almost too much stuff to talk about. And this first part, I really just want to know if you've seen the movie or not. So these are the top 10 most popular horror movies in the state of Iowa. This is from casinos.com, another one of those casinos.com emails that it's like the only spam email that I'll ever open and they usually have interesting stuff. So number 10 is The Exorcist. Have you ever seen The Exorcist? The original, yeah. Yeah. Is that the one that they're talking about? That's the one they're talking about. It was scary. It was, it still holds up. And it was better, I think I told you that I was going to see The Exorcist Believer, the new Exorcist movie, and it was not bad, but nowhere near as good as the original. Well, and the thing is, unless you were there, I mean, this is one of the benefits of being old, if, unless you were there, you don't know today how revolutionary some of these things were. I mean, like The Matrix revolutionary, the first Star Wars revolutionary. I mean, but if you weren't there, The Exorcist, there was nothing like that that we really... I mean, there were some scary movies before. A lot of scary movies back then were sort of campy. I mean, even Frankenstein and Yeah, we mentioned in the last episode, like the Universal Monsters. Yeah. Yeah, Frankenstein, The Mummy, those sorts of things were sort of the standard for creepy. And then they had like, you know, some B movies that were out. But that was really kind of the first mainstream horror movie yeah one of the first maybe not the first but one of the first also directed by a you know a top-notch director which most horror movies even to this day are not yeah there were a lot of vincent price things in the 50s 40s, 50s yeah haunted house yeah like the haunted yeah Yeah. uh number nine is a nightmare on elm street i'm gonna guess you've not seen that one. i've not seen that excellent it's very good you wouldn't like it but very good. So here's where I'm old. Number eight is Scream. That's the most popular, eighth most popular horror movie in Iowa. And I kind of attest to that, how you were talking about The Exorcist. Scream Now is a movie that you turn on and it's more of a comedy. 
satire than it is scary, which was the point when it came out. But it also was really scary when it first came out. I remember watching it, and plus I was young. I was 13, 14 years old, so most things are probably going to be scarier at that point. But a masked man running around with a knife just cutting up high schoolers, that was scary. Yeah, it was scary. Lots of jump scenes, too. Yes, yes. Number seven is The Boogeyman. Which I feel like there's 80 different Boogeyman movies, so I don't even know which one that refers to. I've never seen them. Me neither. Number six is A Quiet Place. Probably haven't seen that. Nope. Number five is Halloween Ends, which is the newest Halloween movie, which is very good, by the way. I know you have not seen that. Have you ever seen The Shining? Yes, I saw The Shining. In fact, I was in grad school at the uh, University of Washington, and they did some scenes... Uh, they filmed some scenes at the for The Shining. The big staircase uh, was at Suzalo Library, and they filmed it there. And I was able to sort of hang out outside and you know watch the production of it, and that was fun. Why is it that once an episode I bring something up that's just completely random, and you have some sort of firsthand connection to it? Yeah, I don't know. I guess <laughs> <laughs> you've lived a full life, that's for yeah. sure, and you've lived in a lot of different places. Yeah, so no, and Jack Nicholson was there. I didn't talk to him, but I, <laughs> I, you know, I saw him and I saw a bunch of other people. But the library had this great stained glass windows. It was the graduate library. They had the graduate library and then the undergraduate library. And I was used to work up there a lot, walk up those staircases almost every day. And there was this beautiful stained glass study room. I mean, it's, you know, probably 100, 100 feet, 120 feet long with... You know, 30-foot ceilings. It was magnificent. Sounds like a perfect place to shoot a movie scene. Yeah. Yeah. That was number four, by the way, was The Shining and the most popular horror movies in Iowa. Number three is The Silence of the Lambs. I saw that. Great movie, but I just don't know if it classifies as a horror movie. The part where they were eating the guy's brains while he was alive isn't horror? Yeah, but I just think of that more as a thriller, maybe, or... uh... Yeah, a thriller. I don't necessarily think... And I think there may be a fine line between thriller and horror. But and I'm not saying you're wrong if you think that it is a horror movie. I'm just saying, in my personal record book, not really a horror movie. It was scary. The books were scary, too. I read those books. I, I forget the name of the author now. I do, too. And my girlfriend, Jessie, is also a big fan of those books. It might come to me. So that was number three. Number two is Jaws. Yeah, at the time, you know, when it came out, it was really something different. It was just really, really good, really scary. I remember watching it when I was very young, like six or seven years old and being scared as hell. So, yeah, that's I think that deserves to be in the top ten. Number one, this was a surprise to me. It. The remake? It doesn't specify. So I don't know if it means the original Tim Curry Pennywise, or if it means the latest It Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2. I think, you know, you can kind of go hand in hand. I mean, they're very similar, obviously. Yeah, and I think there was another movie before that, like in the 50s, called It. Really? I believe so, but don't quote me on it. So there you go. There's the the 10 most popular. I think there is a little bit of recency bias, by the way. The fact that A Quiet Place is on there, and eh, Halloween Ends, it was really good, but... This was also by, like, Google Trends scores. So, again, not the most scientific of 
surveys. All right, let's get on to some more Iowa coast-to-coast news, a little bit more serious news. This is from Bruce Lear in Bleeding Heartland. In a hearing, I always knew this is Bruce Lear talking. I always knew when the lawyer on the other side didn't have a good case. Instead of focusing on facts, they shouted and pounded the table more in hopes the arbitrator might forget and get distracted by a loud, passionate argument. That's what Governor Kim Reynolds tried during her October 25th press conference when asked about book banning in public schools. By the way, I've noticed those shouting about removing books never want to be called, quote, book banners. Maybe they know deep down that historically, book banners have never been the good guys. The facts are not on Reynolds' side, so she shouted, ridiculed, and condescended to public school teachers and administrators looking for specific guidance about the new education law. She did, however, get two things right. At the beginning of her rant, she said, quote, we are way off course. Our kids and teachers deserve better, end quote. She is correct. Iowa schools are off course, and they do deserve better. Yeah, no kidding. And it's a uh... It's even worse than it seems because the schools are running scared and and one parent or even, you know, I've heard stories of somebody that didn't even have a kid in the district hearing about a book and complaining and the book being pulled from the shelves. These are the worst people to decide what our kids should read. And again, most of this is about how there is no guidance from the Iowa Department of Education because there's many different ways if it's, I mean, reading books and what you would consider age appropriate is a pretty subjective thing. And it also kind of depends on the kid too. One 14 year old is much different than another 14 year old. Same thing with a nine year old. I mean, some kids develop at a faster pace and just because a book may have one line about some sex act doesn't mean that it's a sexual book. So where, where do you draw the line? And the problem is nobody has drawn the line. It's all just up to, as you said, maybe one parent who wants to rabble rouse. Yeah. No. And the teachers, I mean, they're all, you know, they have to worry about their jobs. And so they're erring on the side of, uh, oh, of safety, which is suppressing all kinds of good books. All kinds of good books. And just so happens that a lot of them are written or geared towards people of color or people in the LGBTQ community. Doesn't seem like it's going after, say, more religious texts like the Bible, for instance. Well, the Bible, <laughs> the Bible and the Quran are specifically exempted from the grandfathered from the in. Yes. Yeah. 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 So let's get on to some cock talk then, unless you want to mention anything more about Kim Reynolds, because I just thought she came across to me as unhinged. Like she, I mean, this was a perfect way of putting it by Bruce Lear because that's exactly the way it came across. Somebody that knows that they don't really have the facts or logic on their side, so they just start scolding people for well, even asking the question. This is a this is what Republicans are doing now all of the time. It's like they're mocking, they're acting like you're stupid, they're gaslighting that you that that theirs is the real world and that yours isn't. It's just. I mean, look at what happened with the new speaker. And when he was asked about January 6th, they just booed and poo-pooed the reporter. And Yeah, the old lady saying, shut up, yeah. shut up. Now, that's, just, that's a tactic now for the Republicans. Kim Reynolds did essentially the same thing. Agree. So we're going to start off Cock Talk, our segment about caucus news, with good news. Can we just have a moment of silence for the Mike Pence presidential campaign? 
That was hard. Oh, goodness. That was hard. Ding dong. Yeah, I mean, we've been hard on Mike Pence from the beginning. Apparently, somebody has forwarded on an Iowa Revolution podcast, and he's had a change of heart. His family did an intervention like we suggested should have happened months ago. So I just want to read these quotes real quick. This is from, he was at a Republican Jewish Coalition conference when he officially suspended his campaign. This comes from The Hill, by the way. Quote, it's become clear to me it's not my time. I've decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. To the American people, I say, this is not my time, but it is still your time, end quote. The former Indiana governor said that while he's leaving the campaign trail, he will, quote, never stop fighting to elect principled Republican leaders to every office in the land. We always knew this would be an uphill battle, but I have no regrets, he added. The only thing that would have been harder than coming up short would have been if we'd never tried at all. That's bullshit. Almost brings a tear to your eye, doesn't it? Well, no, it makes me... It just... (laughs) I don't know how he can lie to himself like that. I mean, how he... You know, the self-importance to think that he could actually do it after Republicans were wanting to hang him, after Donald Trump, you know, disowned him and just humiliated him. You know, it's just, it was just ridiculous. And, you know, the thing is that his speechwriter wasn't very good. It's not my time. It's like he's implying that there's another time that is his time. Correct. He's leaving the door open to come back in 2028 or whatever, I guess. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it is. I mean, why would he do that? I mean, just so he can so he, he might have just the world. He might as well have just gone along the campaign trail with a dunce cap on. I mean, that's what he was to the Republican mm-hmm. Party. Mike but, Dunce. Well, as radio guys, we know fake radio voices, fake people, and he's just fake. He's fake Christian, too. Oh, 100%. And we will not miss him on Cock Talk, on the Iowa Revolution podcast. I would say we wish him well, but we don't. So this is from the Des Moines Register. I mentioned that we've got a new poll out. Support for Nikki Haley has swelled in Iowa. And that's what I said. We've been saying all along, and you specifically have been saying all along, watch out for Nikki Haley. The former United Nations ambassador has pulled even with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in what has become a heated battle for second place in the first in the nation caucus state. But former President Donald Trump still dominates the race, of course. He's ahead by 27 percentage points a lead that has expanded slightly despite his mounting legal problems. A new Des Moines Register NBC News Mediacom Iowa poll shows 43% of likely Republican caucus goers choose Trump as their first choice for president, up from 42% in an August Iowa poll. DeSantis and Haley are now tied for second place with 16%. That's a 3% drop in percentage points for DeSantis, who was the first choice of 19% of caucus goers in August. It's a 10-point jump for Nikki Haley, who was at 6%. Well, and I think I wrote for Time Magazine back in April that she had a path. Yes. And people liked her. I've been to several events, and, you know, they just liked her. And it's, uh, this would be, you know, if, I think that the Republican leadership and my, I don't know, Reasonable Republican friends want Donald Trump out of there. Just want him out of there. They just 
think he's, well, I don't care what they think about him, but they want him out of there and they want somebody else. And Nikki Haley is that somebody else. And as we've said here time and time again, that she does well in Iowa or New Hampshire, her state, South Carolina, you know, we'll decide who's going. And Tim Scott, who we also included in that, he's fallen flat. Yes. And so, you know, he's you know withholding her. When they start publicizing that they're not going to spend any more money, you may as well just say, I'm out. Right. Yeah, we just got that last week. Yeah. His yeah. super PAC won't even give him any more money. Right. They're freezing all of the assets and saying no, even though his official campaign is pouring a bunch of money, all of the money they have basically into Iowa. And this poll has him down from 9% to 7%. So that just goes to show you, Haley had been down to Tim Scott 9% to 6%. Now she's obviously shot up and is kicking his butt. The other surprising thing to me was Vivek Ramaswamy is only 4% which is holding steady from the August poll. We've discussed many times on our on our podcast. He's been all over the state. He's got ads running. It seemed like he really kind of caught lightning in a bottle, especially after the first debate. But there's been none of that response, at least from Iowans. He keeps saying stupid things. Yeah. I mean, really stupid things. Like you pull out of Ukraine day one, <laughs> and he's, you know, he's not in favor of support for Israel. I mean, he's yeah. just, I mean, it's just stupid. He told me that there weren't any climate refugees. It was no such thing. Um, him saying people should wait until they're 25 to vote. Yeah, and, that and, was ridiculous. Yeah, and that... When you're supposed to be the young candidate yeah. that all these young people are supposed to rally around. Yeah, so no, it's all... Yeah, stupid. vote for me, except I don't want you to vote. Yeah, he's a clown. And there's also still the also-rans in this poll. Chris Christie is at 4%. Who gives a crap? North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum is at 3%. Asa Hutchinson went from 0% to 1%. So he picked up all the Pence voters, <laughs> apparently, are now onto the Asa Hutchinson. I bet Hutchinson. he's really excited about that. Honest to God, that's probably the two guys that are most alike. Don't you think if you were a Pence voter, which still seems very odd to me, but if you were a Pence voter... You'd probably jump on Asa Hutchinson's ship. Nah, he's not fake Christian enough. That's true. So yeah, some interesting poll results coming out this week. The fact that Trump is still leading is still baffling to me. Mm -hmm. Did you see that he called Sioux City Sioux Falls over the weekend? Yeah, I'm not. That isn't such a big deal to me. You know, I'm um, surprised Republicans in Sioux City aren't petitioning to change their name to Sioux Falls. (laughs) There's that, but I don't know. When you're traveling a lot, I could see how we could get. Oh, sure. I'm not saying anything about his mental capacity or anything like that. It's just kind of funny that he said, you know, love you, Sioux Falls. And it was still like half cheers. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it wasn't there was no response really of because normally if a band or somebody else did that, it would immediately be boo. You don't even know where you're at. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, if that were a band. But the thing is, here we're talking about this a, a slip of the tongue when we should be talking about his terrible policies. That probably, you know, helped lead to, you know, the problems. He's declaring war on the cartels, Dr. Bob. Yeah. Yeah. And he also royally screwed up uh, the Middle East. Jared Kushner was, I thought they solved all those problems. Yeah, no kidding. I thought that moving our embassy to Jerusalem was supposed to 
calm everything down and <laughs> nope and avoid war. Well, that's what he said, but nobody, any person that knows anything about the Middle East knew, knew that that was a provocation. Exactly. Which, whether they wanted it or not, no, that's exactly what it was. There's a lot of people that wanted a lot of so-called Christians that want that provocation because it will lead to the second coming. Correct. They want violence. Yes. So I feel like that was even part of Trump's pitch of why we should yeah. move it to Jerusalem. Like he was trying to tap into that, yeah, that Christian nationalism that wants the second coming. And that was supposed to be one of the signs. Yeah, absolutely. Of the second And so coming. here he got what he wanted. I guess. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> we need you now. I feel like that's the last thing that this problem needs, to be quite honest. Don't you think? I if Jesus it. came back, there was a. I, hate I feel like we would not respond well. As to long as he was a new prophet. As long as he just took the Nash, the Christian nationalists with him, we'd be okay. The world would be a safer place. The rapture would only not, Christian would, nationalists would not come soon enough. Yeah. Not our regular Christian friends, just the Christian nationalists. Great segue. So let's get into the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, quite the Christian nationalist. This is from TheMessenger.com. New House Speaker Mike Johnson, a Republican from Louisiana, linked school mass shootings to feminism, no-fault divorce, and legalized abortion in a videotaped 2017 address to a Louisiana congregation. Johnson last week attributed the mass shooting in Maine that claimed 18 lives to a, quote, problem of the human heart, rather than any issue with the easy accessibility of high-powered American firearms. White House Deputy Press Secretary Andrew Bates snapped back last Friday, quote, we absolutely reject the offensive accusation that gun crime is uniquely high in the United States because of Americans' hearts. Gun violence is now the main reason that American children's hearts stop beating, end quote. Johnson expounded on his theory of mass shootings in a lengthy sermon in 2017 at the Christian Center of Shreveport, where he lamented the attacks erupting from the, quote, Christian nation's rotting morals and the shift in American culture. Quote, we see the encroaching darkness. Johnson was a congressman at the time, following his election the previous year. He blamed, in particular in his address, the countercultural revolution for America's downfall. Quote, Woodstock and drugs and free love and all that. More about the undermining of the foundations of faith and morality, end quote, he railed. He is a huge Trump supporter, by the way. Oh, Speaking of morality. I mean, why, why they never look to themselves as shitty Christians of why they're driving young people away from the church. It's a, the Christian Nationalist Church had nothing to do with the Sunday school lessons I learned as a kid. I wouldn't want anybody close to them. I don't want any anybody listening. I don't want children listening to him. Well, and also, America's downfall. What are you talking about? Who's been in charge yeah. for most of my lifetime? I'll tell you who. Republicans. Yeah. So who, are, so, uh, so who are we blaming here? And what is the downfall? And Woodstock, you're bringing up Woodstock in 2017 as if that was the turning point that everything that was great about America up until 1967 all went to shit in a field in New York. 
What and kind of is, logic is that? Well, I would think he would say that Woodstock was symptomatic of the rot, the moral rot. Now, there are a lot of good Yeah, people there. getting into a field and dancing and, and having fun, and, having fun and, and laughing. And yeah, that's awful. Drugs. Marijuana. <laughs> oh, boy. And he's in charge now. And he's a pretty face, and every that's why everything I see on CNN is he's a pretty face, basically. They're saying he's a pretty face without actually putting the words, and he's a good-looking guy. He's, a, he's an asshole, number one. He's an insurrectionist and a traitor, number two. And now he's in charge of the House. You mentioned somebody asked him a really freaking important question about January 6th, and he laughs it off while his Republican congregation behind him tell the reporter to shut up and boo at them i mean yeah, it's that's laughed. disgusting yeah it was bad that's disgusting and we're still going through this stuff there's still people being locked up to this day that listen to those people along with donald trump tell them that the election was stolen and we're still going through this stuff and they won't fucking admit it they still won't admit that the election wasn't stolen right. they boo at a reporter for bringing it up yeah, well, one of the people behind uh, said, oh, it's 2024, forget it. And another person, other people laughed and shut up. And then somebody else said, oh, you know, you're crazy. Steve Scalise, I've, I could hear him. He said something like, you're crazy. Like, she's crazy. Right. Not that they're crazy. Yeah. Gaslighting. When that is the most important question to ask that guy right now. Was the election stolen? Do you think the people that stormed the Capitol on January 6th had a good reason to do that? And I want to know the freaking answer. I don't want to hear boos at the reporter. I want to know. I have a right as an American, to be quite honest, to know the answer to that question. This is why reporters drive me nuts. Because the next question, Dave Busick, who has a great um, uh, substack. I would have booed right back at him, by the way. I wouldn't have put up with that crap. I don't care. I don't care. But the next, the next reporter should have asked that question again and right. again and again. And Dave suggests he's former news director at KCCI. You know, he says that that's the job the next reporter should always be asking that question. And they don't. They ask something else. When you've got a good question and you've got the media scrum, everybody's, you know, they don't know how to follow up on each other. It's just they've got the question in their head no matter how stupid it is. Right. They've got to ask it. Yeah. Well, the best question was already asked. Right. And the only question that, again, needed to be asked at that press conference. So this is good news or bad? I don't know what to make of this. This is from IndieWire. Apparently, if Gen Z has its wish, gone will be the days of gyrating teens on screen seeking sex, drugs, and recklessness, a la the show Euphoria. The new UCLA Teens and Screen study conducted by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers found that across 1,500 members of Gen Z ages 10 to 24, young people wanted more relatable stories that emphasized platonic relationships instead of sexual content. To note, only respondents ages 13 to 24 were asked about intimate content. Adolescents opted to see, quote, lives like their own on screen, which included less romance. 
48% of adolescents feel that, quote, sex and sexual content is not needed for the plot of most TV shows and movies, with 51.5% wanting to see more content focused on friendships and platonic relationships. Quote, while it's true that adolescents want less sex on TV and in movies, what the survey is really saying is that they want more and different kinds of relationships reflected in the media they watch. That's from Dr. Yalda T. Yules, founder and director of CSS and co-author of the study. Quote again from Yalda, we know that young people are suffering an epidemic of loneliness and they're seeking modeling in the art they consume. While some storytellers use sex and romance as a shortcut to character connection, it's important for Hollywood to recognize that adolescents want stories that reflect the full spectrum of relationships. Well, <clears throat> I mean, it's interesting. It's, uh, it sounds like they're going to be more thoughtful and analytical and open than a lot of other generations, you know. But they're, they're also less repressed than a lot of other generations. True. I mean, if you want something a little bit more risque you don't have to go to blockbuster and rent you know some some movie that has a few sex scenes in it you can just yeah. go on your phone and find There's whatever that. you're looking for so i guess it does make sense in that way too if you're going to be spending your time consuming a tv show or a movie yeah i can get my sex somewhere else i want to see a good story with good characters and I think it also does speak to the fact that there is disconnection among this generation, not only because of the epidemic, but because of just living online. I think yeah. there's a lot of kids across the country that their best friend is possibly somebody they've never met before, somebody that they met in a chat room or play Xbox with or, you know, got to be friends on any number of social media channels. So I think that's right, that there is probably a yearning for showing those deeper connections even without the physical contact. Well, you know, there's other things going on. There's going to be implications for the birth rate, maybe. Well, that's what first came to mind is Japan is having an awful situation. They're literally, like, encouraging people to have sex and, and have kids in Japan right now because they're just not. There's not as much sexual activity in Japan right now. And, again, I think it's a lot of the same things. People can get it in a lot easier ways without the mess of a relationship. You know, it's easier to just look up pornography online and have your sexual relationship be with people that you don't have to actually deal with than to actually have a friendship that also includes sexual activity or whatever the case may be. But that's, it, it is sort of, it's good in a way, but it also is sort of concerning in a way. Because, you know, I mean, sex is a tricky subject, but it's also very much needed Right. Well, you know, it's like uh, um, my daughter had a, we, when we helped move her in in Iowa City, there was this young man hanging out that was, you know, I thought was the boyfriend of this other girl. And it just, he was giving me every indication, why should he be moving all of this stuff? You know, why should he be working so hard? You know, he's obviously this other girl's boyfriend. And when I asked about it, my daughter said, no, he's just a friend of hers. And so he was willing to commit yeah. to all of that just because they were a friend, which is, you know, more enlightened than doing it because it was your girlfriend and you did, you're there wanting to do it rather than maybe feeling like you have to do it. But there's something else going on, too, is if you look at, at the consequences and, and you cast the broader picture and you say, what 
under what conditions, let's just say, do mammals uh, have less reproduction? And it's and there's been lots of studies, especially amongst the large mammals, like elephants, that what happens when there's envir environmental uncertainty, there tends to be less lower birth rate. Mm -hmm. because you don't know whether you can should invest in your offspring or not because you don't know that you can nurture them. So they, there tends to be more parental investment among the mammals that can do that, but less of a birth rate. Right. And so that's what's in the mammalian kingdom. It suggests envi environmental uncertainty is a cue, a clue for why this is happening. And so I think we have a lot of environmental uncertainty right now. There's a ton of people, I'm in the millennial generation, and I think there's a lot of people in my generation that have made their decision, whether it's about specifically consciously about global warming or climate change, but also just economic uncertainty. A lot of people are uncertain even how to go about getting a career that they might like because careers are popping up and disappearing at a very large okay. rate because, I mean, uh, artificial intelligence, something we talk about a lot on this pod, is also something that's concerning, like what would my child do when they grow up, you know? Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of different reasons. Well, there, right now, there's I feel like there's a lot more reasons to not have a child than there is to have a child. And on the flip side, obviously, you were part of the baby boomer generation. It's the opposite of that because that was a an age of a booming economy and we've just won this war and everybody's feeling great and optimistic about the future of the country. So let's have all these children. People were making good wages. Yeah. And the economic uncertainty is part of the environmental uncertainty. Exactly. I mean, it's a chicken or the egg situation, but I think in many ways investment is not as high as it could be because of that uncertainty. Yeah. Whether it's real estate or vehicles. I mean, just seems like we're behind the curve on so many things that I thought would be progressing, I guess, more down the line by now. But it's like we're coming up against this wall of, oh, shit, the world's going to end. <laughs> if you talk to young people, they, I mean, really young people, they're, they have deep concerns. And then, Even they, people my age. I've seen people and have talked to people that are not religious at all. This has nothing to do with the rapture or the end of days. And I think to a certain extent, every generation has a version of this. I mean, obviously when we were dropping atomic bombs and the Cold War, I mean, you're always sort of facing whatever existential threat that generation is facing. But it does feel like there's an awful lot of things in this generation where it feels like, you know what? Maybe the, maybe the earth doesn't, maybe I see the end of the world. Maybe I don't outlive Earth. Well, and the thing is, there's... Like when we were ducking cover under our desk when we were a kid, we had a clear enemy that we could think that we could defeat. Correct. And now, you know, there's no clear enemy. Well, I mean... Other than ourselves. Well, right. And the Republican... Yeah. <laughs> right. That, yeah. you know, deny climate change and don't care about anything, but radical individualism and who can make more money and step on the other guys, you know, walk all over them. You know, that's the how so many Republicans and leadership feel. Not all of our Republican friends do, but that's what, I mean, that's all of their economic policies. There isn't, there are no environmental policies. There's, 
anyway, you know, they'll say things like, oh, we need to defund the IRS, acting like it's going to reduce the, you know, it'll, it'll uh, lower the deficit when really it'll increase it. So you know, it's just... Speaking of, I was listening to WHO radio this morning on my way in, and they brought up this. They were talking about negotiations in Congress and the fact that that IRS money is a big part of those negotiations. And the co-host, who made herself sound like a moron, said, oh, yeah, take the money away from IRS. Like, who's going to have a problem with that? And it's like, if you knew one freaking thing about what that money, that money will pay for itself at least 10 times over. That money is going to people to audit rich people who are screwing the rest of us over right. on their taxes. Yeah. And they're going after people, maybe not necessarily you and me, knock on wood, IRS, I love you, but they're going after people that they know can't fight back because that's the only way that they can get the money to fund themselves. Yeah. They're just that understaffed because they know if they go up against the bigwigs, they're going to have lawyers up the Yahoo and they're going to end up winning or it's just going to cost too much to win in the long run anyway. Right. So no, that's a lie that they're, you know, it's just, it's just stupid. Right. I mean, it's one of those things where Republicans are very good at just going over like the surface of what a certain issue might be and going to the basest instinct of like, yeah, let's take away money from the IRS. It's like, do you think that's going to mean that I don't have to pay taxes? Like what? Why do you think that that'd be a good idea? Because because Fox News and OAN and Newsmax doesn't tell them that you know these agents are exactly. going after the rich people. Exactly. And their and their Congress people won't say that. They want they want scapegoats. They want immigration scapegoats. They want they want LGBTQ plus people as scapegoats. They want immigrants as scapegoats. The IRS as scapegoats. Trans kids, whatever they need scapegoats. But rich white men, no. perfect, man. Yeah. So we talked right away. I said I'm in a good mood. You asked why I'm in such a good mood. Brian Ferentz is going to be gone. I read that. Hallelujah, amen. And this is a national nightmare. We've become a national laughingstock because of Kirk and Brian Ferentz. And I think that's why they made this decision in the middle of the season, just to get everybody off their backs. It's not good for the university to be made fun of on a weekly basis. Well, it's also, I mean, but it says something about society that we actually care more about the football team and an assistant coach than we could. Can you name a professor that's brilliant, a doctor that's doing cutting edge research? Can you name any program other than probably the writer's workshop? There were, everybody else over there in Iowa City is busting their asses. And the story is about some loser assistant coach. Come on, you know that's what society's priorities are totally misplaced. They should use those. They should use a lot of that money and hire Nobel laureates and National Book Award winners and scientists. They're going to cure cancer or whatever. But instead, we pour it down the football rat hole. Well, I'll say this: the the university's athletic department is self sufficient. It is self funding, so our taxpayer dollars do not go to paying Brian Ferentz. So I just want to make that clear. But it's like, there's only like 20 universities in the country that make money. That's true. I'm just saying that Iowa is one of them. Yeah, well. But yes, it, it, that is not the case nationwide necessarily. We're talking about the University of Texas's, the Penn State's, the Ohio State's. There, There is 
I think you're right. Probably about 20 schools that are their athletic department is self-funding. But I just some people say that, and it's like I just want to make sure that you get the truth about that. Right. No, I understand that, but I don't care. Our priorities are still misplaced. I understand that too. I wasn't necessarily correcting you. I just hear that often, and want to make sure people are clear that. That's not necessarily the case. Well, the, I think people, when they say that, it's still coming from a good place, and it doesn't necessarily matter. Because even when I see people respond that way online, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I get it, but, like, who really cares? It's still, like, a public university. and Well, the thing is, too, there's one really, really good reason for the football and basketball programs, and to a lesser extent, wrestling. It's because... If the football program and the basketball programs weren't there, that that's the only reason the Republicans are funding our universities to the level that they are. Right. Otherwise, they'd just you know turn everybody into a community college, except for you know maybe one, you know one Hillsdale. School. Yeah, Hillsdale. <laughs> but so you know, go football because you know Hillsdale you and BYU will be the only publicly funded universities in America. If yeah, Mitt Romney it's up to the Republicans, yeah. yeah. I'm glad. I'm happy. I'm so, get, can't you just I'm, be happy for me that Brian Ferentz is gone? No, I'm, I say that I'm in a good mood. Brian Ferentz is fired. And the first thing you do is, shut up, Spencer. We should be paying more attention to these theology professors and these surgeons that are on the cutting edge of technology. I'm just saying, Dr. Bob, I'm an Iowa fan. I care about these things. Well, you know what? I also care about the doctors and the nurses and everybody I'm, else that makes the university the place that it is. I went to the university I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that he's gone too, but I almost felt sorry for him this morning when I read about it, believe it or not, as much as I've trashed him before. I almost, that's funny that you bring that up because I almost tricked myself into feeling sorry for him myself. And then I thought about it for a second. I was like, why would I, Spencer Dirks, ever feel sorry for Brian Ferentz? He had such a sad photo in the register. See, that's the thing. Like, I can sort of, like, I just can't feel sad. I guess I can empathize with him. Yeah. It must be a very tough time and very embarrassing. And it's probably a tough time for the family as well. So it's like that part of it, I guess I can empathize. But I, yeah, I just can't convince myself to feel sad for someone that makes that much money and has failed that badly. And he's, what, 35? And, and again, you brought up the point the yourself. He's a meaningless assistant coach for a middling Big Ten football team. Yeah. People really shouldn't care that much about him anyway. And he's set for life. Oh, if he absolutely. Never gets another job. If he had never done anything in his life, he just all all he had to do was be born into the family he's in. Kirk Ferentz has however many millions and millions of dollars. Brian Ferentz doesn't have to work another day in his life. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he'll land on his feet somewhere and get a coaching job. Might even be a very successful coach in the future. Who knows? He's still a pretty young guy. But to feel sorry for him? I did. A little bit. For a moment. Well, you're a much better man. <laughs> which I already knew that. Uh, anything else? We are going to run long today. Yeah, well, too much good news, I there guess. Is, yeah, and t- that's the thing. This has been a very positive, an, an uncharacteristically positive Iowa Revolution podcast today. I'm smiling. Yeah. And now I'm going to bring it all back down. <laughs> Because we're doing top five urban legends, and some of these that's are not, not necessarily down. I mean, that's well, some of these are pretty creepy. But again, they're urban legends, so it's 
it should be fun, hopefully. Number five is The Babysitter. I'm sure you're familiar with The Babysitter Urban Legend. They've made movies about it. Basically, The Babysitter is watching the children. They go to bed. Babysitter's hanging out downstairs by themselves. They get a phone call. Person on the other line or on the other end says, do you know where the children are? She runs upstairs. The children aren't there. She calls 911. 911 traces the call and they tell her the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. That's a great urban legend. One of those ones where it's hard to differentiate, like maybe that's happened. Like the good urban legends are ones where it's could have happened. Probably not. But you can see there might be like an inkling of truth somewhere in there where it just spread like a game of telephone, you know, where you say something into somebody's ear and then it goes around the circle and I start by saying Apple and by the end it's Trump. It has to be believable or it wouldn't be a legend. Exactly. So that's number five. Number four is the killer in the backseat urban legend. You familiar with the killer in the backseat? Oh, yeah. So a woman driving down a highway... Just going at a normal speed. Somebody behind her is flashing their brights and swerving, trying to get their attention. Seems like it's trying to run them off the road. So she speeds up. She's trying to get away. Finally gets to her house. Person runs out of the car saying, there's somebody in the back seat. There's somebody in the back seat. And yeah, trying to stab them in the back seat. Scary. It's scary. I drive a truck, but if I didn't, I'd look in the back seat. I almost always do, especially the fact that I go to work so early and it's dark when I wake up and get in the car. Not every morning, I shouldn't say, but there are mornings where, for whatever reason, I feel like, eh, I better check the back seat. Now you will forever. Probably. Because we've implanted it. Well, that's always, yeah. I mean, like, ever if I ever watch a scary movie, especially for the next week or two, I'm always going to check the back seat. Just, just got to be careful, just in case somebody's after me. Number three is the Slender Man. I'm sure you've heard of the Slender Man. So the Slender Man was originally like, I think it was copy pasta, like online urban legends. Kind of a blurry figure, very tall, obviously Slender Man, tall and slender. And just a blank face, just a straight white face with no features. Very scary looking and... So that was the urban legend, but then it turned into, remember, the court case with the two girls that ended up almost stabbing their friend to death because one of the girls said the Slender Man had told her that she needs to do this. Wow. Did you remember that court case at all? No. So that sort of put it up into an upper tier of, wow, this urban legend actually caused real world violence sad it was sad it was very sad the fact that they were only yeah 12 years old and stabbed her and yeah she somehow survived i think they stabbed her i mean dozens of times i mean there's no real reason for this young girl to have survived the attack and she did number two is the liquor this is a bad that just sounds bad right to begin with so basically a girl received a dog as a gift and it would sleep with her each night she would often put her hand down and feel the dog lick. Then one night while her parents were away, she heard a dripping noise and went into the bathroom to turn off the tap. When she returned to bed, she felt her dog lick her hand. This happened several times until the girl investigated more and found her dog hanging dead in the cupboard with a note reading, humans can lick too. 
scary. Doesn't that just make you like a pit in your stomach? I'm too busy thinking, how do you get a hang a dog in a cupboard? And why would you do that in the yeah. first place? <laughs> I mean, that just seems like a whole lot of trouble to go to just to kind of freak somebody out a little bit. Right. And, you know, cupboards tend to have shelves and dogs tend to be bigger. Than That's what I thought, too. Why cupboard? Why closet, wouldn't it be like in the closet or yeah. maybe in the shower or something? So, Especially because you're hearing the drip, 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 and that's... Yeah. Poor dog. <laughs> we would be better at putting together these urban legends, I think, than some of the, the writers themselves. So number one is, I went local for number one. And I want to ask you, are you familiar with the Black Angel of Oakland Cemetery in Iowa City? I've heard of it, but I didn't know these specifics. You're going to have to ask Johanna about it, because especially it's spooky season right now. Today is Halloween as we're recording, so I wonder if she's, and this is her second year there... I wonder if she's made a trip to Oakland Cemetery to check out the Black Angel. So it's black due to oxidation. It wasn't made black, but uh, mostly, uh, most likely because of her dark appearance, multiple legends have cropped up around her, according to Atlas Obscura. I didn't know this, but one legend says that a pregnant woman should never walk under her or she'll lose the child. Then others say that if you touch or kiss the statue, you'll be dead within six months. Who would kiss a statue? That's another thing, too. Like, And I also wouldn't touch it, either. I don't know. Maybe I would. Do you like haunted houses? No. I like haunted houses. But I like horror. I like being scared. I like roller coasters. I like horror movies. I like getting the adrenaline pumping up a little bit. I don't... I like to be in control. Yeah. I don't like out-of-control situations. And you're also a very calm person. And I think you like to keep things at an even keel. You don't necessarily dip too low or arch up too high. I try not to. Yes. Those are can be uncomfortable places. Going, you know, getting high and excited for a few minutes is fun, but not too long. Because, yeah, I remember I, I went to go see the Black Angel of... Oakland Cemetery in Iowa City. It was just during the day, though, so I was kind of a, a wimp when it came to that. But there was, like, Seven Steps to Hell, which was this old cemetery out by Palo, which is by Cedar Rapids. I went to go visit that with some friends. I was always interested in those local haunted places. See, cemeteries never scare me. Being in the woods in the middle of the night doesn't scare me. Being in the woods doesn't necessarily scare me as much as being in a cemetery. There's something, and especially around this time of the year where it starts to get a little bit cold, the leaves are rustling around, so it sounds like it could be somebody walking towards you. Those sorts of eerie feelings, especially in a cemetery, are heightened for me. I just think there has to be a scientific explanation. Of course, yeah. Just like when I was trying to explain urban legends to you last week, and you're like, "No, that doesn't make sense." Like, it's no, they're not supposed to make sense, Doctor Bob. <laughs> they're, they're urban legends. They're just they're fun stories, I guess. You know, in certain situations, when you tell them and you build, you know, you heighten people's, and you're in a group, you tell the story, you're heightening anxieties, you're building endorphins, you're building connections. It's campfire it's, stories, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Or have you ever read scary? What is it? Scary, uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. I mean, I've read scary stories in the dark. Well, there was actually a book, and then I think another, well, not I think, but there was another follow-up book was just more scary stories to tell in the dark. And I believe that liquor story was in one of those books. And it was really known, it was well known for the artwork that went along with the book as well. 
some really stylistic and just creepy drawings to... Now, I will say I do like Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. You know, like the monkey's claw and the telltale heart and the cast of Amontillado or something. There you go, yeah. And those are scary stories. Yeah, The Raven. The Raven, yeah. yeah. I agree. Scary poem. There are some really, really... The scary, we'll, we'll end on this. The scariest story I've ever read was, have you ever read Shirley Jackson's The Lottery? No. It's a short story. Well, now, I've, now I don't want to tell you about it because you should just read it. And, yeah. all, and all you people listening right now, if you haven't ever read it and you want to have a little post-Halloween spook, read The Lottery. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. It's it's funny we can't end on something I didn't know. That's I mean, true. There's so much stuff I, I don't know. It's we want to we don't want to end on something. Well, I don't how about know. we end on what are your plans for this coming week? Have you nailed anything down in terms of visiting caucuses? You know, or not caucuses, but campaign events, or are you speaking to any local Democratic county groups? Um. Working on anything for your Deep Midwest substack? Oh, yeah, I'm working on all kinds of things. I'm doing an analysis of the reactions of all the people around. You know, I'm doing an analysis of the Mike Johnson thing where he, um, where the woman yelled at the reporter, you know, and I'm, I want to see all their verbal. <laughs> We're looking at it right now, and it is, we should hang it in the Louvre, to be quite honest. It, it's. It's a modern-day piece of art. And so I'm looking at their facial expressions. I'm trying to figure out who's lying, who's... Big, fat, white face, big, fat, white face, big, fat, white face. Yep. Lauren yeah. Boebert is there. Yeah. And, you know... A lot of mouths agape. Yeah. So I'm analyzing that. Um, no, I don't have a lot of plans. There's not a lot of caucus events around. I'm waiting for the next time Trump comes to... Uh, uh, the area, and one of the things I've, I've uh, suggested to Laura Bellin is that she's never been to a Trump rally. Oh, God. And so we'll, we'll go to a Trump rally yes. together, I think. That would be fantastic. Yeah, so I think that's fun. She said, yeah, we'll go, I'll go with you. So that would be good. So that, we're just waiting for Trump to get back. And, and can you imagine what Laura Bellin, what she will do with that? She's so, she's so great. I was going to say, I can't wait to... To read her words yeah. on what that experience yeah. is like. So, come on, Trump, <laughs> get back into town. Yeah, Laura Bellin and Dr. Bob go to a Trump rally. That would be fantastic. Uh, like, what is it? Bill and Ted's great adventure. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so again, Deep Midwest is Dr. Bob's Substack. If you want to read about uh, politics, culture, just Dr. Bob's musings, he's always interesting to read his perspective on. Anything, if you ask me. You also have Cedar Creek Nature Notes on Substack, and that's just walking in the woods with Dr. Yeah, Bob. No politics. Uh, you can also follow him on Instagram. I said this last week, but Dr. Bob has cracked the code. He knows how to Instagram now. He's adding music. He's adding speed up and slow down, editing. It's it's so fun. make sure you follow it's him creative. on Instagram. Facebook isn't very creative. No, Instagram's creative. Yeah. And it's perfect for you. Twitter isn't very creative. I, well, I'm not very creative on Twitter. Some people are. Yeah. I think you could be very creative on Twitter. It's just not the best outlet for you. Yeah. I like the visual and I like the music on Instagram because, I mean, it's 
sort of a soundtrack of you know my walk in the woods or whatever i'm doing it's exactly. pretty cool right so follow cedar creek nature notes on instagram make sure you of course subscribe to iowa revolution on substack you'll get our podcast delivered to you every single week on wednesday mornings dr bob always a pleasure had a blast today and i can't wait already for next week yeah, we'll have fun we always do